We're going to do a quick experiment. Is everybody up for that? An experiment? Okay. All right. I need three volunteers. Now close your eyes. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Close your eyes. Open your mouth. No. (laughs) Okay. Quick experiment. Don't think about a sunset. Okay, even you probably failed, right? Just even for a second, there was a flash. Don't think about a sunset. Okay, I'll give you another chance. And already you're thinking about something. You know, I'll think about anything. Don't think about a field of colorful flowers. Okay, even for a second, you saw it, didn't you? You saw some colorful flowers. Okay, let's go dark. <laughs> Don't think about a vicious dog. Could you see it for just a second? I used to have dreams a lot, and I think this represented the devil. Big dogs, not normal dogs, huge, with just like, kind of like in, you know, Disney cartoons where they don't just have a few fangs. They've got a mouth lined with every one is like a saw blade ready to cut. That's what I picture is just all. So here's the last chance. Don't think about a field of colorful flowers at sunset while you're being chased by a vicious dog. (laughs) (laughs) God made us to see pictures, didn't he? Like it's an, an amazing thing that we can... See pictures. Somebody says lake. You got have a picture in your mind. River, volcano. Um, you know a person's name. Oh, there's a flash. And you know if you try hard to think about how somebody looks, sometimes that's hard. But there's some. There's an image that comes up. God made us to see images in our minds. Some are wonderful and comforting. You know when I think of a field of flowers, I, I went. You know last week I talked about hiking in the mountains. One time I went with a buddy and we went to a place called Mount Edith Caval near, um, uh, I think it's near Jasper or it might be near Banff, now I forget. But we got to this place and there's uh, a glacier nearby but there's a meadow where it was, it was a gray kind of day but it was, when I think of a field of wildflowers, it was green and it was patched with you know, these colors that are just like it, it was so subtle. Nobody has cultivated this except for God. It's just sort of, it's there and it's wild and it was just, it was just breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, and I'll say something maybe a little more macho now that I've talked about loving a meadow of beautiful, colorful flowers. There are some really comforting images and then there are, you know, some that are, that we have to combat and disallow. We try to keep those images and thoughts out of our heads. Uh, for some of us, you know, when we were young or something, we're trying not to think about, you know, monsters under the bed and things like that, because, you know, those kinds of things. A hand coming up beside the bed, you know, uh, where so you sleep in the middle. And those kinds of things, and you're combating them. And, and it doesn't change when you get older. It just changes what those things are. You're trying to combat. There are certain images I don't want in my mind. 
Have you ever had those things that you see something and you wish you hadn't? And, and then it keeps coming back, you know, maybe something violent or something awful like that. You know, those kinds of things, you want them purged. And thankfully, God will do that also. He'll let our minds be kind of renewed and those, those images lose their uh, clarity and they, uh, over time they go away. God knows we think that way, and he presents some unpleasant images even. Jesus did. Uh, And you think about Jesus speaking about things like a lake of fire. He spoke about a place where outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he spoke about that, and he spoke about a place called Gehenna, which it was a type of hell, it was like a, a picture of hell, but it was actually a physical place on the outside of Jerusalem that was a dump, and, and it just continued to steam and fester and go all the time, and so when he said, you know, the, the fire is burning there all the time, it's like they had a picture, oh, we know Gehenna, that's a, an awful place, and God used that kind of thing to speak to his people, um, and he still does. Uh, John chapter 15, we're going to read, I had said uh, when I sent the uh, passage to Ryan, I said we'll go all the way to verse 17, but we're going to cut it short. We're going to read up to uh, verse 8, and we'll do the rest next week. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it or cleanses it, that it may bear more fruit. You are, all, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me, and I in him or her, that one bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We'll touch more on what exactly that fruit is uh, in either next week or the following week. But this week, here's a pleasant image And probably, this is just a few hours before Jesus' arrest and uh, the mock trial and his crucifixion. And it's possible, this is after the Last Supper, so it's possible that on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is arrested, uh, that they were walking past an actual uh, uh, vine. Uh, that they were, I mean, it was a vineyard in parts of the Mount of Olives. It's very likely that they were walking along, and he's looking at this, and he says, I'm the true vine. The Father's the one who takes, and, and they would know something about it. This was part of their culture. They would know what a vine dresser is. It's somebody who tends to that vine and decides 
you know what? This part is just wood with no fruit coming on it. I'm taking it off. I'm cleaning it. I'm cleaning it up. We would use that kind of terminology. And he, you know, and here, he would clip here, get rid of it. He'd tidy this up so that all of the, you know, the vitality of the vine isn't just going into wood. It's not just going into the, just going into, what's the point? The point was to bear fruit. He wants clusters of grapes is what he wants on that vine. And so he's saying, you know, the the father is the vine dresser. He's the one that decides we're going to prune. And then he even says this lovely word that we should be claiming for ourselves. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. So that it can bear more fruit. So when God is clipping off, you know, bits of your life, and it's like, God, what are you doing to me? After all I've done for you. After how I've served so faithfully. You know, it's, it's like, you know, he must be mad at me. No, actually, maybe he wants you to bear even more fruit. He's looking and saying, oh, I can get more out of Michael. I'm going to. I'm going to bless him. I like what's happened so far, but I'm going to do more. <laughs> Cut that arm off. You know, thanks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that that's a prophecy for you. <laughs> uh, Jesus wants us to see a crucial reality here. Fruitfulness is part of it. And in 2020, we've been talking about 2020 vision. Part of our 2020 vision is to bear fruit. Fruit of all kinds. I, I don't want to be a, a fruitless branch. I don't want to be that. Uh, any more than I already have been. I want more. So in 2020, Jesus is wanting us to look at this and see a crucial reality so that we'll do something crucial and important so that something crucial and important will happen in our lives this is not a parable this is a word picture or an allegory he's depicting one reality by pointing at the uh, circumstances and characteristics of another i'm the vine you're the branches the father's the gardener and it's like oh and then he starts to play out what some of the characteristics are showing ah this is This is the reality of our lives. Jesus is sowing an image in the minds of his followers back 2,000 years ago. And again, today, he's sowing that. And it's rich and it's relevant no matter where we're at in our faith journey. If you've been walking with the Lord for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, or if you've just come to Christ, or even if you haven't yet come to Christ, there's a crucial reality here that he's saying, here's, I've got something for you. I want you to look at the reality of the vine and know that this, this pertains to you and to a, a real life, a good life, a purposeful life. Fruit is purpose. Fruit is is. Purpose on display. Ah, that was the point of having the vine, was so we could get fruit. There's a purpose involved, and the Father and the Son are involved in it together. For us in 2020, this is relevant. There's vision here about who He is, about who we are in relation to Him, about how the Father is working to bring about His purpose, and how He's going to do it. 
always with God's glory as the goal. You know, before Christmas, we were looking at John 17, all about Jesus says he's about to go to the cross, praying about the glory of God. Again and again and again, that's the point. It actually isn't even just that, oh, I'm just the apple of God's eye. Actually, that's Jesus. God does love you. He loves us. But through us, he's going to get glory, more glory. We are a reflection of the glory of God even when he created us. He created us to be a reflection of his glory. And in redeeming us, he's going to get more glory, more honor. Oh, look how glorious God is, how merciful God is, how loving God is, how righteous God is. Jesus gives us here the last, in the book of John, there are seven I am statements. Seven of them. And they start in John 6.35. He says, I'm the bread of life. Then in chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. He says in chapter 10, I'm the door of the uh, sheepfold. He says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, I believe it is, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And here, he says, I am the true vine. I'm the vine. This is the last of those statements. And he immediately adds, my father is the vine dresser. I'm the vine. My father is the vine dresser. I'm the vine. The father is working with the vine and the branches, which is you. He's working with it to produce fruit and to get glory. There's a close relationship between the father, the vine dresser, and the vine. He knows that vine intimately. He knows everything about it. And there's a close relationship, obviously, between the vine and the branches. The branches, they're attached to it. There's something special about it. And God is up to something. I'm the vine, the father's the gardener, you're the branches. This relationship and purpose includes us. Tell somebody, God's purposes include you. People connected to Christ. That, that's, that's for us. So let's see the image as simply as Jesus presents it. Un, uncharacteristically, this message is going to be really simple. I know you're used to such depth that when you go home on Sundays, you say, that John... He's just so deep. Um, I know. I know that's what you say, and I'm just voicing what you've thought all along. But today, it's going to be really simple. I hear mumbling from my own kid, and I, <laughs> I think I know what that means. Jesus is the vine. He's the stock. He's rooted, and he's alive. Interesting that in chapter 53 of Isaiah that we read for communion, it talked. He was planted he was rooted he's he's the there's i mean it doesn't it's not a flattering term but in the prophets it talks about jesus being the stump and it means he's like the stalk he's the trunk of the thing from there something else grows he's rooted and alive those of us attached to him by believing and following him are alive with the life that's in him simple right We're alive. If we believe in him and we follow Jesus, 
we are alive with the life that's in him. Without that life-giving attachment to the vine, the branches can't produce fruit, right? If they're detached, if they were severed. uh, And in fact, uh, I think the New Living Translation uses the word severed uh, in this passage. If they're severed from the stalk, they don't produce anything, right? The sap's not flowing into them, the life's not flowing there, and they don't produce anything. They're like this. I found this when I came in today. This thing, over a fairly brief period of time, does gets pretty dry, right? So there's like that. You know, if, if this was just recently detached, you would do that, and it probably wouldn't snap. It would, you know, kind of have a bend, but it would be there. So it looks like, at first, oh, I can get away with being detached from the stalk. There's still some vitality. I'm still kind of green. It seems like, oh, I'm doing okay. Give it a week or a couple weeks or something, and what happens? It, it has nothing. There's, there's no life here. Nothing new is going to come from this. And you can see where, you know, new branches, new life would have come. But, of course, because of the way it is, it has nothing left. A detached, severed branch hasn't got the life of whatever this came from, whatever kind of tree. It doesn't have the life flowing anymore, so it won't bear any fruit. But even more than that, if we're detached like this thing, we won't have any fruit, but we also won't have any life. Like, it's not long And this thing, what happens to it? Just like Jesus said, they get gathered up. And well, in that time, you know, in the vineyard, the ones that this is a this is an unfruitful branch. The vine dresser clips it off. They drop it down for now. They go along. They do it. Somebody else comes along behind them. They gather up all of them. And it's not even from a vine. It's not even good wood. They can't use it for something else. Like from an apple tree. Oh, that apple tree isn't producing. They cut it down and they can build something with the wood. A vine, it's, it's not much. It's a twisted, small little thing. And that wood isn't used for much. It's kind of, you know, kind of useless. So they'll gather it up, toss it in the fire. We don't bear fruit if we're detached. We don't even have life if we're detached. More than it's even worse. Fruit is fruitfulness is the natural product of a healthy attachment. It's the it's the natural product of a healthy attachment. And it shows up on branches. That's where the fruit shows up, not on the main stalk. It shows up on the branches. So Jesus is looking and saying in verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him, he, she bears much fruit. I think the NIV says, he will bear much fruit. If you're abiding in me and I in you, if you're attached, you will bear fruit. It's like, done. He's not saying, you know, flip a coin. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. He says, no. If you're abiding in me, I'm abiding in you. You will bear fruit. It will happen. It's the natural product of a healthy attachment to the branch, uh, to the uh, vine, rather. A result of a genuine, actual attachment. A real one. Where life is being transferred from the stalk, from the vine... 
into the branch. Jesus is life. He's not, he doesn't just have it. He is life. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's like, he, that is what he is. To be attached to him means to be attached to life. Okay, is that simple enough? That's good for the one who's connected to him. And there's naturally an outflow of life through us if we've got the life of Christ flowing into us. I know this is really elementary. But I also know that for 2020, if we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to keep advancing closer and closer to Christ and doing what pleases him and having a fulfilling, satisfying relationship with him, we've got to be attached to him in in an authentic, real way, right? Not just, okay, I'm, you know, John said we need to uh, seek him and we'll get to this in the next couple weeks. We need to have a prayer time. So I'm setting my timer I'm going to pray for 15 minutes. Okay, God, uh, here's the thing. Uh, what I need, um, and I lay it out, and um, John said, if we're attached to you, we grow. Okay, I'm here, I showed up, and that's a good thing. We show up, that's the, that's the start. Uh, but, you know, we have all of this stuff, and we're just, the, the relationship, I've had prayer times, many times over the years, that I left, and I realized even if Jesus was there with me, I sort of ignored him. I had, the, you know what I mean? Like we're together, we go out for lunch, but I'm busy. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a perfect one. We're out for lunch. Michael's kind of there with me eating, and I'm, you know, I got some Facebook things to check out and a bit of stuff. And hey, you know, like that's kind of is that sort of what it's like. For some of us in prayer, things are there, and am I actually connected to him? I, I might be doing what I would call my prayer time. but I, And now, I'm not saying this for condemnation. Like I said, I've had more of those times probably than anybody in this room. Well, I'm not really. I'm saying that to be gracious. <laughs> I'm a spiritual giant. But you guys, you know, the, the, the reality is that we can do that in natural relationships. Rose and I are together. We're doing something. But we're not really together all the time like where we're engaging with one another. So we have those times and it's valuable. It's an authentic connection rather than we're just running errands together and we're not really connecting. I need time with actual vital union with Jesus where it's the distractions get sort of put aside where I'm I'm realizing, wait a minute, he really is there. He really is alive. He is real and he wants to have relationship with me. Not just a spiritual discipline where I say I'm given the next half an hour to something I call prayer. Does that make sense? Authentic, actual relationship. God, I'm here. I want to know you more. I want to hear from you. I want to engage with you. I don't want to just go through a list. All of these, I want to actually know you more. That's what matters. I want to be connected to you. We can't neglect that connection without losing life. 
We can't neglect it. We can't, I think, and I'll say this kind of straight up. I think we're weak in the Western church because we've neglected a real connection with Jesus. Again, that's not condemnation. That's reality. I think we're weak spiritually because we have a lot of other options. We had a a lady uh, from China at our home group on uh, last Tuesday who talked about the two churches in China. The state church where they're told, this is what you can preach. This is what you can teach. This is what you can do. And then what she called, we, we have known it as the underground church. She calls it, she said it's known as the family church. And they meet often in secret because more and more people are getting arrested. People are getting um, um, persecuted for doing things that don't meet with the state sanctions on the church. You can't preach this page or this page or this page. And they have these kinds of things going on. They don't have a lot of options like us. They're, they, they better have a real connection with Jesus. And in some ways, through 2,000 years of church history, when did the church flourish? Often when it came down to no other options. You, you know, you got Jesus... And you got persecution, you got death, you got imprisonment, you got rejection, you've got you got no other options. You've got that one, and they don't neglect it when that's the case. I mean, there's an element. I'm not I'm not a masochist. I'm not asking for pain and suffering, but I do recognize that the church in many of these nations, where they don't have options and where they have suffered for the gospel, right. spiritually people get saved and in short order they are going forward walking in the love of God in the power of God able to forgive things that you know I can't forgive that guy that cut me off and they're forgiving people that have you know in some cases you know uh, persecuted and even executed their family members and they're able to forgive we can't skip our relationship for 2020 a 2020 vision has to include the simple basic elementary reality of we need real authentic interaction and engagement with Jesus okay just why didn't I just start there and say that instead of all that other stuff we need that we need that can you even say to yourself I need that I just I need it This connection, full attachment to Jesus Christ. And this is a crucial starting point for our 2020 vision. We can't just rush on to everything. Hey, we need to have an evangelism seminar and an evangelistic outreach. And we need to do this. We do need those things. But if we do those things and we don't have that connection to Jesus. I feel like uh, years ago I saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. Like, that's not it. Just, you know, get busy. Like, he's coming back. Look busy. Oh, we're doing stuff. No, he's not. That's not going to impress him. You know, that's, that's not the thing. There are certain things. Jesus is coming. Know him. Get, get connected to him. The, bra- the, the branch can't bear fruit by itself. 
Uh, New Living Translation says, A branch can't produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. Philip says, Unless it shares the life of the vine. I want to be fruitful. We're going to be fruitful. We must be fruitful. According to this, if we're not, we get clipped off. Now, that's not, I don't think he's saying that to sow fear. I think he's saying that because he says it's natural. If you're connected, you're going to bear fruit. It's as much a promise as it is a caution or a warning. We may not know all of the science involved in how a vine produces grapes and, you know, grows and it's affected by weather conditions, etc. We don't know all of that, but we do know that if it's severed from the stalk, it's dead. Don't let that be you, Christian. Don't let this be you. Okay? Don't, don't let it be you. Okay, we're coming in for a landing. The phrase that speaks to this um, in this passage is, of course, this phrase. Ten times. What is it? Ten times you hear this one phrase in here. One word, I'll say. In this passage. Abide. Ten times. Well, and if you've got a New International Version, it says remain. I think some translations say remain, some say abide, some say go on with or continue on with me. If you go on with me and I go on with you, that one's a little more obscure to me. But if this term, abide in me and I in you, abide, abide in my word, he says, or let my words abide in you. Abide in my love as I abide in the Father's love. I remain, I live, I make my abode, I reside, I continue on steadfastly in the Father's love. You continue on steadfastly in mine. That's what Jesus is saying. Stay put. We use the term a humble abode. That means a home. And this is the same word, just a different conjugation of it. Abide. Stay. Make your abode with me. Make it the place that you live. Stay there steadfastly. It's the same kind of as this word in the Old Testament when it says those who wait upon the Lord. It uses that same both of those words. Isn't it kind of funny? It's sort of passive, right? Abide means stay. Wait. It's kind of a passive thing. But because of the nature of this fallen world and our fallenness and our inclination to do stuff, again, almost like Jesus is coming, look busy. We, we have a hard time sometimes just stay, stop, just abide, stay with me, connect with me and don't rush off. I find it. I need to do something. God I need your wisdom for it, but give it to me on the fly because I'm going. I'm acting now. And at times, I think he would just say, would you just settle? Stop. I'll show you how this can be done. Abide. Wait. Stop. Don't just rush off. Don't just keep going. In Hebrews 4, it's funny. So there's an aggressiveness to our abiding. There's a passive element, but there's also an aggressive element where we have to get aggressive and make ourselves wait. In Hebrews 4.11, it says... Be diligent or strive to enter his rest. That's sort of funny, isn't it? A little paradoxical. Work hard to rest. Why? Because, again, it kind of goes against our fallen nature. I want to end with this picture again. 
of a dog again. Uh, they, they feature significantly in my life. Um, not really. I, we used to have a, a post office box at a 7-Eleven, a retail post office box. And I would go there at a quarter after six in the morning before our 6.30 prayer meeting. And uh, I would go to get the mail and then go to the prayer meeting. And I got there early one morning and I pulled up and I was uh, just, I don't know, hearing the end of a newscast or something. So I sat in the car for a second and a guy got there in front of the uh, 7-Eleven and he had a dog, like a fairly uh, sizable dog. And he went into the 7-Eleven and his dog sat, uh, I mean, he seemed to be a well-trained one. He sat just outside of the doors and the guy went in, and that dog sat, you know, the perch where their, their bum's on the ground and their legs, you know, four legs are like this. And uh, he had a, just like a focus. He's looking in through the glass of this 7-Eleven like this. And fairly still, you know, his tail's not going and everything like this. He's just still and looking in. I got out of the car and was walking past uh, this dog to go into the post office and, um, you know, just to make sure that he wasn't going to take my leg off or something. You know, I'm sort of <laughs> being cool, kind of, you know, you know, kind of make a little sound just to, you know, hey, I, I'm cool. Nothing, you don't need to bite me or anything. And I'm walking by him and he, this dog, it was like it didn't even blink. It's like I, I could have walked by it you know, in a clown suit screaming, and it seemed like he wouldn't notice me. He just was, and I'm walking, and I go by, and he's like, forget you. <laughs> like, I'm looking at my, you know, my guy in there. And so I went in. I came out before uh, the his owner. The, and so I sat in the car, and then this thing. He's waiting on his owner, and he's just like focused. No, I don't care about this. That you're you're not going to distract me. He's like this. Then when he sees his owner coming, funny the pictures that can stick with you. That I want to be like this. He sees his owner now at the till and ready to come, and he starts <laughs> how dogs do this, and he starts, <laughs> and you know. <laughs> He's like, oh, good, he's coming, he's coming, he, he's going to be here. Like, after this, you know, razor focus, nothing, and now it's like his bum starts going, his tail's going, and whoo he's coming soon, he's going to be out, he's going to be here. It's like, it's been three or four minutes, <laughs> it's like, wow, I've been looking for you all my life, and he's just all of a sudden, I, I sort of picture if that was a cat, if the cat even did look in and see you, as the guy's coming up, the cat would do this. <laughs> Stroke me. <laughs> Pat me. I, I give thee permission. You know, this thing, like, it's, a, it's a, a picture of he's waiting on his master. He's abiding and focused, not abiding as in, you know, I wonder what time, like, you know, is he actually coming back? No, he's focused, he knows his master, and he's waiting for him, and he's, it's like his abiding is kind of not just passive, it's focused abiding. It takes, because of the world we live in, how we're built, um, 
and how the world is Believe me, there's a devil who wants to do things to distract you and get your eyes off of uh, uh, off of your master, off of the Savior. He wants to do it. It's going to take saying, no, I will not. I'm going to look there. I'm waiting for him. I'm focused on him. I'm abiding. And my abiding isn't just passive. My abiding is, again, uh, I'm aggressive about it. I'm doing it. So let's start there. Our 2020 vision, determine, let's make a choice, a commitment to actually know God, not just do a bunch of busy work, spiritual busy work, but to know him, and then ask for the grace to, to, to carry that out. Because, you know, I'm not, it isn't just a matter of willpower. I need grace to do it. There are lots of times I... I have even the good intention of praying, and I get up, and man, it's, it's like it's easy to get distracted. Even if I've started and taken the first steps, you know, it's like it's easy, it's easy, it's too easy. So it requires some aggressiveness. So, Father, I pray you'd give that aggressive spirit to the people in this room. Aggressive for the right things. Aggressive to lay hold of Jesus and abide and wait and focus on you and depend on you and receive that life transfer from you. God, we want to be fruitful. We want the very life of Christ flowing in us. And we need your grace even to do that, even to make the commitment. Just even out of your mouth, just say, God, give me grace to abide in you. Pour it out, Lord. Pour that out on the people in this room. We were singing earlier that you're a miracle worker. You make a way. God, whatever our past is, we've failed at maybe at having a solid um, time in the word or discipline there or... uh, uh, a fruitful prayer life or spiritual life or we feel like we've done it and you didn't show up and all of the different things. Whatever the past looks like, God, I pray for grace for the brothers and sisters in this room right now to encounter you, to keep encountering you and to abide with you and wait on you, God, and to grow spiritually and be more fruitful than ever before in 2020. Thank you for it, God. Bless your people with grace right now and with a fresh filling with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.